Oh, hello there. Thanks for joining us. This is Pause Reviews. Oh, welcome back, one and all, to the Pause Reviews Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Frank, joined by my trusty co-host, Tim. Welcome, Tim. Yo, thank you. Hey, man, it's good to see you in a shirt. I mean, don't get it twisted. I enjoyed the shirtlessness. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, Um, I'm assuming that means that things are uh, blowing cool and up in the the house? Perfect time for us to go subtropical and, you know, wait for this storm to roll on through, so... (laughs) Um, you know, initially we got the air conditioning back on Thursday morning and I was like, oh, great. Just in time for it to be like 75. And then next week it's going to be in the mid eighties. Oh no, 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 no. This humidity now yep. is out of control. Like Friday was 75 and raining, but it was a swamp outside. So I can just imagine how nasty things would be inside of this house right now. If we did not have air conditioning. Now I've had the dehumidifier running because I came down, you know, sometimes like over the weekend, it might be a day before I come down in the basement, just based on what's going on in the house. And I came down to do some podcast stuff and I guess I hadn't had it running for about 24 hours or so. And it was like breathing water. It was wild. Um, It's nasty. Yeah, that's gross. Dude, I'm so glad. I'm so glad you guys got that fixed. That sounded awful. Yeah, perfect timing because my uh, in-laws came in for a quick visit. So I also use this as an opportunity to drop what is been standard temperatures in our house, which are, are still very warm for most people. So I dropped it to 78 during the day and 74 at night. And after like two days of 74 at night, I was like, that's a little cold. Oh my gosh. Dude, I sleep at 68. 68. I I, I know. Not allowed. I would would set it to 64 if I was allowed. (laughs) So, but anything higher than 68, I mean, she can just go. Like, I don't, it's just not going to happen. Decided not to argue with the pregnant lady. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess. I forgot what having the basement to myself is like during the week. It was during <laughs> while I'm working. It was actually a little lonely today. I was yeah, like, people oh. people don't realize we've had a uh, a second co-host the past week or two because yeah, Chris has been hanging out down there. <laughs> so it was it was a little weird today. I was like, oh, okay, there's there's nobody here. Uh, it's a little I creepier. Sort of back to normal. So yeah, yeah, dude. So okay, in the uh, in in this house, everything's been all right. So the big the big difference for us is my wife and I started Weight Watchers like a week or so ago. Alyssa, my wife, obviously, and and you've seen her. She's crazy fit. She was like a college swimmer and. You know, she pretty much looks the same today as she did when we met and she was 18 years old. But two babies, she had a couple of pounds she hasn't been able to get quite off. She wants to get a little bit more tone and and whatever. So she wanted to join Weight Watchers because she heard it's great. And of course was like, hey, Tubbos, maybe you should join it too. So I decided, man, we're buckling down. I'm doing it and and I'm, I'm working the system. I have never been a bigger dick than I have been the past week. Like, just, 
just hangry or Dude, hang you know what hangry does it an injustice um <laughs> you know, so there's there's a few things i've realized so number one with weight watchers you know they have a, you know, a ton of zero point food stuff that a lot of the other diets and stuff uh doesn't make sense you know like your eggs are zero pretty much every fruit every vegetable for the most part is zero chicken is zero i have never gorged myself on so much food and yet still felt so freaking hungry and on top of it it's so again and it's not hangry it's it's genuine withdrawal like i feel like the pull towards the the carbs the starchy the sugar like dude my sugar was I don't mean my sugar levels. Surprising. I I actually shock medical professionals when I get my blood drawn and they're like, your glucose levels are excellent. I'm like, I'm Puerto Rican. If rice killed us, we'd have problems. Like we live on pork and starch. Like, you know, so fat and carbs aren't going to kill me. But the sugar will. But I I genuinely like I totally get all the the science the talk about how, you know, the the addictive quality of sugar and refined sugars and all that kind of stuff because dude, legitimately, I feel like I'm detoxing from like a massive heroin uh addiction or or something wild, dude, because I would just, I would get so enraged about nothing. And and bless yeah. my wife. She's, you know, she totally gets it. It was just kind of like, all right, you know, Frank is going through the purge and we're just going to keep our distance. And, and uh, but anyways, but I'm fighting through it. Uh, I think, so that was last week. I kind of, I'm trying, you know, you get, so you get the daily points and then you get these weekly overage points. My wife is the type of person who, you know, she can eat like one Oreo or she can do, and she likes to do that every day. So she uses her weekly points a little bit throughout the week. I'm kind of more of that old school of, you know, I'm going to be miserable for six and three quarter days. And then, you know, at dinner on Sunday, I'm going ham on something right. ridiculous yep. um, and just, you know, gorging on, on whatever. So so last week is in the books. Today is sort of the, the start of we're recording on a Monday this week. So this is, you know, the start of uh, the next week. I'll be weighing in on Wednesday. So you know what? I'm going to keep you guys abreast of how my yeah. how my progress goes. And today went better. Today I wasn't like overly struggling and I actually kind of struggled to use my daily points today. Yeah. So, anyways, Weight it, Watchers, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I I finally decided today I was like, all right, I haven't worked out since probably since the end of June, like before the holiday because we went away for 4th of July and then came back and I don't know what happened there. And then we didn't have air conditioning for two weeks. So mm. I was like, I'm not working out. So I finally started today and it's like, I don't remember where I left off. And my wife looks at me and she's like, maybe, maybe you should just start at day one, week one <laughs> of your workout again. And yeah. I was like, she's like, you probably lost all your muscle. And I was like, nah, <laughs> dude, week one, day one sucked. <laughs> Dude, I can imagine. So my big accomplishment with working out. So last week we start, you know, I started introducing some workouts again, and uh, and just getting some activity in. But my wife's been doing it with me, you know, and which has been it's been a really great kind of source of accountability, right? It's oh, been yeah, a really yeah, sure. yeah, it's been a really good source of accountability, and it's kept me going when you know I I, I would happily have been like ah I'm too tired to do it. Yeah. Um. So today my wife wasn't available to work out. 
and I still worked out today. So that was yeah. that was pretty killer. But yeah, we'll see. You know, I'm not one. I'm not really the type to kind of you know hype up kind of what I'm doing, mainly just because I've been moving in the positive direction for so many years. But you know, we'll see. I am curious. I'm curious to see how this pans out. You know, and also too. I mean, we run a podcast, so you know, we plug Amazon and all that stuff. I mean, if Weight Watchers wants to throw us something, and uh, you know, we'll have. <laughs> Maybe I can become the uh, the podcast uh, spokesperson for Weight Watchers, right? I'm the there new Kirsten go. Alley, right? I love it. I love it. Um, anyways, all right. So, yeah, that's what's going on in our lives. Uh, Tim is not sweating, and I am yep. super hungry. Um <laughs> This week we have we have so much to cover this week. I've been really swamped at work. Tim has been swamped with stuff. So I haven't really been following the kind of news cycle, the entertainment news cycle and the movie news cycle as as closely as I normally do. So I thought this episode was going to be kind of light. So I was yeah. kind of loading it with more reviews for you guys this week. Yeah. We also we do have uh some errors and mission stuff. We've got a we've got a listener uh, request to talk about this week yeah. so there was some content but then you know stuff kind of started happening you know so we we have some stuff uh we'll try to push through everything there's just this is one of those weeks where it's not like we're struggling for things uh to put on here we are genuinely i think and i think i can speak for you tim but you're here you can speak for yourself <laughs> we i'm genuinely excited for almost everything we're talking about today uh so i don't want to cut a thing so we we're going to yeah. do our absolute best to stay good on time stay on script and uh something that obviously we're great at um so that we can right. so we can keep everything in this because i'm i'm pretty stoked about this episode i, I think this is going to be a good one but let's jump in with some bad news. Yeah. Um, so what we always try to do is, as as we lose some greats, we we try to just mention them, uh, remember them. And and the past two weeks, we've seen a couple folks leave on to to greener pastures. Yeah. Um, and so the first one. Alan Parker. Alan Parker, some people may not know, he's a British director. Uh, he's best known for films like Mississippi Burning, Midnight mm. Express. He is a legend, a legend in the directing community. And we lost him in the past two weeks, and he was 76. So, you know, it's, I don't know, to me, 76 still feels so young, you know, yeah. in terms of you just feel like there's more time there. So that one, yeah. that one kind of stung, man. Yeah. Especially, you know, in the creative world, um, you know, directors and, you know, you think about artistic directors and theater and um, we've had some long serving ones in, in some of the theaters in the district. And, you know, at, at 76, you feel like you, you've got a couple more years in the chair if you, if you, if you, you know, have the passion to do so. So yeah. that, that would, you know, definitely that seems like uh you know, a mind cut short there for sure. Oh, it was, it was awful. So the next one, and Tim, you actually, you, you know, you drew my attention to this one. Yeah. It was Wilford Brimley, which, yeah. you know, I mean, I remember Wilford Brimley. What I remember him from is Cocoon. 
you know, yeah. I don't know if it was like my mom or so, for some reason, Cocoon, maybe it was that she liked Steve Gutenberg. I don't know. <laughs> but for some reason, Cocoon was always on everywhere I was, right? If I was at home, if I was at my grandparents, if we were out somewhere, people were watching Cocoon. <laughs> and so, uh, so Wilford Brimley, that's probably the movie that most of us will remember him from. Um, he, but I, he was also in The Natural. I also, Hard Target. The Jean-Claude yeah. Van Damme movie, I remember seeing uh -huh. him in that and being like, hey, that's the guy from Cocoon. Um, <laughs> and then uh, and he was also the spokesman for, for Quaker Oats for a long yeah. time. And uh, and most people, may most of us our age, right? Like the, yeah. uh, the elder millennials or, or whatever we are, the early 1980s kids. We might know him best from his diabetes commercial, but Wilford Brimley, the the stash himself, we lost him. I think just this week, just a just a couple days ago, yeah, um, 85. at eighty five. Yeah, another heavy loss, and and one that I mean, a great career, and someone who absolutely deserves mentioning. And then the last one, Olivia de Havilland. Yeah, she. That was just a couple of days ago. It's ironic because I was just having a long discussion about her with my grandmother uh, over Fourth of July weekend because she had her hundredth, hundred and fourth birthday. That's on July first. Yeah, and she was the last surviving member uh, of the cast of Gone with the Wind. So. For wow. a variety of reasons, her name has been in the news cycle for the past month or so, you know, with the censorship and, and the content uh, warnings that we've talked about with Gone with the Wind and mm -hmm. um, the content of that. And uh, then she had her 100th and 4th birthday. She played Melanie Hamilton in Gone with the Wind. And uh, what was really interesting about her in that movie is that she really wanted that part. She had read the novel. She was really familiar with the novel. And she pulled out all the stops to get into that movie. Because apparently every female actress at the time who was going to the director was begging to be the lead. Was like, oh, I want to play the lead in this movie. And so they were dismissing her. And she was like, no, no, no. I have this other idea. I want to play this very different character who was a lot like herself. Mm. Um, but yeah, 104 and the last surviving member of Gone with the Wind. So, um, wow. That's, right? that's a life. I yeah. mean, that yeah. is winning the game. That's crazy. A movie that came out in the thirties. Unreal. That's nuts. All right. Yeah. So again, uh, Alan Parker, Wilford Brimley, Olivia de Havilland, you know, great careers, incredible lives, and such a tragedy to see people leave. But, you know, hopefully they're off doing bigger and even better things, which uh, which is awesome. So, um, but our thoughts, <laughs> our thoughts for sure to their families. Um, okay, so let's move on to some news. Tim, why don't you open us off with this one? Yeah. Um so Disney is uh, has announced another round of scheduling delays. Um, they Along have... with everybody else. Yeah. Now, um, is this this is like on the heels of Tenant and that kind of stuff all pushing indefinitely, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they've been they've been sitting on Mulan for a while now. They had started marketing pushes prior to the pandemic um, down around Disney property. Um, there's a movie theater in the Disney Springs area. They had all the banners up and everything. Um, and that was the next kind of big live action Disney movie. Um, one that I was actually probably more interested to see because I've actually not seen the animated one that sort of was like mm. just past my prime time of watching 
um, Disney uh, animated movies. So it's kind of, you know, I, I aged out of kind of Disney animated movies by the time that I had come along. So I was, I was kind of really interested to see this one. Plus it looked like a really good reimagining of the movie. And it yes. wasn't, you know, it wasn't going for like the animal sidekick thing. It looked like it was going to be like an actual film. Um, right. So I was really right. kind of, I was kind of into this one and they've been pushing it. I mean, they filmed this and it was going to be a blockbuster. Like this was not, you know, a, a, a lady in the tramp direct to Disney plus movie. They were banking for some good money on this. And originally this was set to release like almost right at the beginning, at the onset of all of this. Like this was going to be maybe an April or May type movie. Yeah. And, yeah. and it, yeah, like you said, it's been pushed quite a bit. The last release date that it was scheduled for was eight twenty one. Um, yeah. But, which is... uh, yeah. And, and um, again, because they were going with the idea that it was going to be a blockbuster, Disney has just decided they couldn't justify the release or the the cost of additional marketing without the support of theaters. I know AMC had noted earlier this week, late last week, that they don't foresee opening anytime before the middle of this month. And even then, a lot of theaters in the biggest markets like the California, um, you know, metropolitan areas, New York City, um, they're up to state and local regulations about whether or not they open anyway. So they just didn't see a feasibility on a return for this movie because if they were going to do direct to DV or direct to streaming, they felt like they had to hit everywhere simultaneously to avoid piracy and, and undercutting all of that. So um, it's definitely, yeah. it's such an interesting situation and a balance, especially for a company, right? Disney studios has already sort of set a track record for willingly giving us so much content that was set to release. And, and, and amidst the, the pandemic situation, they have, you know, cut things out early and, and sent yeah. stuff to us through Disney plus. It's something that I definitely thought Mulan was going to end up doing eventually. I think that yeah. this is one, you know, unlike onward and some of the other ones that they've done, you know, I, I'm, I was a little bit more surprised with Hamilton for the same reason, simply that the theater experience is so unique. You know, we, like okay. I said, we all have theaters. I've said this before. We have sort of home theaters, all of us, right? You know, TVs being what they are, just the cost of the tech being so low. But there's something about that experience of seeing it with people on that scale, with that sound. It's it's unique. And this definitely felt like a, a real effort from Disney to give us almost the next, you know, great film, right? Like yeah. the next Crouching Tiger, the next groundbreaking thing versus a... A, a live action play on this Disney classic. You know, the movie itself, I was like you thrilled and so excited because it looked so good and it felt very real. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I, I was stoked. I'm also not surprised, right? So theaters, there's always been a conversation around movie theaters and what people are kind of seeing the end days, right? Theaters are going to start folding, going under. I mean, especially now with the fact yeah. that none of us are going. But the theater game, even before all this, was very much a studio game, a distributor yeah. game. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of people don't know that the, the ticket sales, at, at least for major blockbusters and for a very long run, uh, it's a 90-10 split. 
90% of the sales goes back to the studio. Only 10% goes to the theater, which is why your popcorn is $87 because yeah. the theater gets to keep 100% of concessions and that's how they keep the lights on. Um, yep. Now, as time passes in the run, usually the split starts to kind of meet more in the middle, right? So the first, you know, if a, if a big time blockbuster is going to run for, I don't know, let's just for sake of argument, say 20 weeks. Yeah. Well, maybe the first 10 weeks is 90-10. Then maybe the next five is, you know, 60-40. And then maybe the last five is going to be more of a 50-50. It makes sense that these studios, for those of us who are sitting here saying, you know, why don't they just release it? Why don't they just make it available? Because that is a significant amount of money. If you talk about these major blockbusters, if you think about Avengers that breaks, you know, a billion dollars or or whatever it is, the studios get n almost, right? Because I said it's a sort of a sliding scale in some cases. Mm -hmm. But the studios are getting 90% of that billion dollars in ticket sales, right? Yeah. That, that, that gross does not include <laughs> concessions and all the things that the theater keeps. So it is a big chunk of change. That being said, even when theaters open... The crowds, the sales, the numbers, they are not going to immediately jump back up to what we think or what we were used to before. People are going to be wary for a very long time. People are going to be cautious. And so I guess what I don't understand in this very long-winded way of saying that when do you pull the plug, right? When does Tenet just release? When does Mulan yes. just release for people to to rent or buy? I mean, I think the whole rental thing is kind of dumb. Like, just make it available to purchase. Take your money and and go. But, um, but they but the marketing cost. We've already talked about how marketing yeah. is essentially your budget. Take your budget, mm -hmm. multiply by two, right? So if they spent thirty million, they have to not only recoup that, they gotta recoup the other thirty that they spent to market this movie. And this yeah. was a major tent pole film for Disney Studios yes. this year. There's so there's so much that goes into this. And there's two sort of other minor aspects to this, I guess. Disney doesn't have another blockbuster in the can ready to go until November with Black Widow. Right. So, you know, if they were to say, hey, theater's open in two weeks, do they kind of want to have this sitting there to to be like, hey, well, let's go. But to your point, are people really going to go? It, it's, it's, uh, it's a complicated thing. Now, the other thing, which I didn't realize this until I was reading the articles today, going back to August of last year, there's a little bit of a controversy around um, the star of this movie, uh, Louis Fay. She really? is, yeah, she's playing Mulan, and she is, uh, she has been like a, a, a vocal, or she's vo voiced support for the Hong Kong police during the unrest in hong kong oh. on social media um around around this time last year and so a lot of people there are articles pushing for a boycott of mulan when it comes out um and you think maybe over the year we've been, been through so much more since then that people have kind of forgotten about it and i was like ah oh, this is not that big of an impact this is over a year ago but with the delays it's sort of come back up in the news cycle that she's kind of had this, mm -hmm. you know, this, this cancel culture movement 
push against her. So that just adds a little intrigue to me. It's like, I mean, obviously Disney's not taking this seriously, I guess, because they still think they can make their money off of that. But obviously there's additional controversy around this movie now that's kind of like... Yeah, it just it just adds to that intrigue of where this movie is um, and what their decisions will be with it. Well, that's I, that's exactly what comes to my mind is is the latter part of that statement, which is, you know, yeah, they really want to make that money back, right? They want mm-hmm. their they want to <laughs> they want their cut of those ticket sales. But if this if the voices right if the shouting of this cancel culture movement gets loud enough and and, and it could eventually, I mean. It's amazing how much impact these things can have because a studio so dead set on releasing this and 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 trying to earn back all that they can, if the voices get loud enough, when when do you reach the point where you need to cut your losses and say, let's just put this out there and make back yeah. what we can? Because if they are going to boycott this, factor in, people are already going to be scared of COVID still. People are going to be wary. People are going to be trickling back into theaters. Plus, people are going to be calling for this boycott. How many obstacles do we have to overcome to even try to see a, gl- a glimmer of right. what a traditional box office for this would have been? And, yeah. and how much can we just make in the home market? And, and all of this eventually just trickles down. Um, they apparently have three unnamed Star Wars films at this time, and then the four Avatar sequels that they've already greenlit. All of that's going to be pushed back I a keep year. Forgetting from... there's four sequels. Right. We haven't had one sequel. <laughs> We're talking right. about four. four. Um, and three unnamed Star Wars movies. So the next Star Wars will not arrive until 2023. And we don't know what that is. Um, and that'll wow. be the longest gap between Star Wars movies in quite some time. Um, because over the last couple of years, we've had the the, pre, the the sequel trilogy, as well as Solo and Rogue One. So there's been like a Star Wars movie every two years for the last 10 years, almost. Right, something right. like that. Um, so uh, it's all interesting. Uh, and again, this just ultimately underscores the fact that Disney's revenue is in their parks and opening the theme parks is and doing it well and not having to get shut down again is really important to them because they're not making any money from the movie studios right now and they don't know when they will. So yeah. uh, definitely interesting things to follow. Wow. This pandemic, it's just such a wide reaching force that yeah. uh, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy what's going on in the world and, and, it, it does make you wonder. It's like, man, like, will things ever be normal again? Or or is it just going to be a whole new world after all this? We'll see. A whole, whole new, new world. <laughs> wow, that was beautiful. <laughs> How Dude, do you do that? <laughs> harmony. Um, all right, guys. So moving on, this is a really quick blurb that I have, and I will not linger on this, but it excites me to my core. Why? Yeah. Because it's Taskmaster, and the world needs to know its greatness. We've talked in past episodes about how great the show is, and in the, uh, I think it was the Rewind, The Next British Invasion, we talked about how American television networks have been buying up uh, overseas properties, the broadcasting rights, and airing, and they're planning to air them here, primarily the CW. And and so we talked about that's what they were doing with Taskmaster, and on Sunday, Taskmaster officially aired uh, season eight, 
and I was ecstatic. At the same time, simultaneously, season seven is starting to, quote, air on their YouTube channel as they prepare to launch season 10 in the UK. So that kind of gives you a little insight about where they are there, what we get here, and sort of how things go. If things go well and season eight works out, um, you know, I'm sure we'll get season nine and then maybe 10 down the road and, and you can kind of catch up um, through everything. If you don't have TV, if you're a cable cutter, the CW, they've got you again. Because if you download the CW app, you can watch Taskmaster and a whole host of other shows for absolutely nothing. They have big, you know, big libraries of, of their content. But for the most part, they kind of do the OG Hulu free model, um, yeah. where the most recent five episodes are available for pretty much all their shows, if not all of them. So as long as you kind of stay within five weeks of air dates, uh, you'll be able to catch the entire series of Taskmaster Season 8. Um, and I'm I'm super excited. I already started watching this this weekend and can't wait. It's It was just so cool seeing it on the on television watching it on television with with all the little subtleties and stuff that you don't get in the youtube you know kind of you know piece together episodes yeah there there are frustrating moments in the youtube because some episodes will have ungodly amounts of ads in them that don't follow the ad breaks of the show and you'll like you'll be in the middle of the task and they'll throw you off to an ad and you like you look at the bar and it's like yellow 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 there's like 15 ads in yep. in 45 minutes and you're like this just kills the flow of of the momentum of that show because it's it's broken up in a way that works for the flow of the show and those ads on youtube are just atrocious and i have no problem skipping them because i they don't need to get my ad money because they're you know british television now for the most part the ads do line up it is i am interested and it's something i you know i don't know i won't know unless i do some major research but if you don't know so the american television market in terms of advertising and breaks is different from yeah. the uk market right so for example a, a traditional 30 minute episode of something right a 30 minute television episode has a runtime a true runtime of about 22 minutes right so you've got about eight minutes worth of ads whereas in the uk a 30 minute show is more like 26 minutes and mm -hmm. in for an hour show here it's about 46 minutes give or take um, and in the UK, it's more like 52 minutes. So UK airings, which is why for shows like Downton Abbey, for example, you had it, it specified UK version because you know you're getting all those extra minutes. Um, mm -hmm. Shows from there that air here are cut down because the networks have to meet the promised number of advertisements. So, that being said, if Taskmaster runs 52 minutes in the UK, even with the breaks lining up here, some content has to go. So there will be things that we're missing. I'm wondering if they will still air the full versions on YouTube as they have been doing, and then maybe we'll be able to compare and contrast and see if there's any differences. Other than that, you know, they do some really great things like they've been putting the names of the guests on the oh. screen because the American audience doesn't know who these people are necessarily. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so, you know, they want their spelling so we can look them up or whatever. Um, there's certain disclaimers that I haven't seen before. Now, I don't know if they do it on TV over there, but, you know, Greg Davies like sniffs something in episode one and they put a thing that says... <laughs> 
It was actually great. It said, do not ever sniff this in real life. Your task starts now. <laughs> like, Don't ever do it. Um, I don't know if they would have done that in the UK, but they have to do that here because there's concerns that people are going to go sniff some kind of oh, yeah, glue sure. or whatever. Anyways, it's really interesting. I'm curious to know these things, but forget all that. So excited to see such a great panel show, of which there are none here in the U.S., starting to 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 be shown in its original true form. And who knows, man, if this catches on, maybe we will catch up to the greatness that is the U.K. panel show, because they're hilarious yeah. and incredible. Uh, so hopefully, so fingers good. crossed. So good. All right. So next, I'm, ta- I'm telling you guys, we are burning through these segments um errors and omissions we've got one was it the last rewind episode where i talked about perry mason on hbo mm-hmm. yeah yep. okay so uh two weeks ago i talked about perry mason on hbo and yes i gave kind of like a a, <laughs> a weird non-review because we were too early in the run right yeah so i had also mentioned in that episode that i wasn't i knew you know up to at that point i think it was up to episode four maybe um Mm -hmm. you know perry mason was a private detective he wasn't a lawyer there was a lot of differences right and so i wasn't sure i couldn't speak to any source materials other than the the old school show and you know i kind of threw it out there that i assumed there was probably a book series but i couldn't say for sure well a huge thank you to our listener janelle scott for messaging us to let us know that there absolutely were perry mason books first um she even included some great pictures of her own personal perry mason book collection uh which we threw up on instagram so go to our instagram at pause reviews and you can see uh janelle's impressive genuinely impressive perry mason collection considering i didn't even know they were books so here's a little backstory right uh perry mason the character was created and the books were written by earl stanley gardner who was a practicing lawyer in california there are actually over 80 novels and short stories that feature Perry Mason. The Whoa. first, right? The first, and dude, it spans, well, here, I'll get to the, the first novel was The Case of the Velvet Claws. It was published in 1933, and the last novel of the series was published in 1973. So he wrote 80 novels and short stories in the span of 40 years. The series had gone out of print in the U.S. for a long time but in 2015 anchorwick which is the american bar association's publisher again news to me um ah. i'll probably have to do an error in emissions on how to pronounce it <laughs> but uh it began reissuing perry mason books um so they are now being re-released in the u.s as of 2015 the series perry this blew my mind the perry mason series ranks third all time in the top selling book series list with 300 million sales it is third only behind harry potter at 50 million and the rl stein goosebump series 400 million sales so the book series that i didn't know existed is third to goosebumps and harry freaking potter like it is arguably not arguably it is one of the most prolific and and biggest selling series of books of all time so uh a massive massive error on our part wow yeah i blamed him um yeah 
so what else? Okay, there was also there were a few film adaptations in the 30s. There was a daily radio serial that ran for 12 years on CBS radio. All of this, all of this before the first run of the TV series that we know uh, starring Raymond Burr began. Um, So before, (laughs) before the source material, I thought, all of that stuff happened yeah. first. So, uh, needless to say, there is absolutely and definitely source IP for the HBO series Perry Mason. Janelle, thank you so much for letting us know. Credit to you for telling us and giving us the pictures. Credit to me for that excellent research. Because <laughs> you didn't give us that. <laughs> but anyways, uh, wow, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot. It's 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 so, massive. How can something so big just not even be on my radar? But that is, you know, that is the thing. I think we're a movie the, podcast, so we don't read books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why read the book when you can watch the movie, Tim? That's why we're here. But that is the thing. Like when you get into all this, there's not much original thought left that's why we're so you know when something like a parasite comes along and like now we're gonna get 100 letters and emails about how parasites not original either but (laughs) (laughs) but it's like you you, something like that comes along that is brand new right Right, that's why we we go nuts for stuff that is completely fresh because a lot of times you start looking into something and you're like oh man this this is this is not new this is you know this is a rehash or something you know what i mean so there's there's a lot uh, of stuff behind stuff so yes on one hand it's super surprising because again you're talking 1933 to 1973 which predates me by you know 12 years <laughs> so mm-hmm. um you know it, it, it uh, that blows my mind but it, it in that regard and i'm assuming you've watched some more how uh, has this changed your thoughts from two weeks ago oh tim Thank you for that setup, and <laughs> allow me to knock this out of the park. We, uh, I have, sir. So since the last okay. time we talked about Perry Mason, the HBO series, not, <laughs> not all the rest of this. Um, so Frank I has read the entire book series. <laughs> 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 uh, that's not true. Um, okay, so the HBO series Perry Mason. I was on episode four the last time we we talked about this. I have now watched and caught up. Last night was episode seven so we are up to seven with only the season finale remaining on sunday and oh snap folks guess what perry mason's a lawyer he's got his assistants the pa the pi partner they're all in tow and everything is starting to get set up in a way that i remember so my massive not my massive because i kind of like the different dynamic but my one criticism that this is like a complete departure and and i had kind of you know said why don't we name it we we talked about instead of Andy Griffith, if it's Mayberry or Gotham, right? If you're not going to follow true, make it sort of different. I'm, I'm sorry, HBO. Like, Okay, so like I said, seven episodes in, only the season finale remaining. At this point, I feel comfortable giving a quick and final review since, generally speaking, we're at that place where we all know the who's and, and kind of what happened. And now it's more about really seeing how it's all going to get to you know connected together and, and plays out, right? How does it finally play out in the end? Overall, I think HBO did something pretty good. You know, I think there's definitely some plot lines still that feel long-winded or, un- or unnecessary altogether. 
But I think this is an inherent fault that comes from taking a kind of one hour procedural format and extrapolating it out to an eight hour series. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously we talked about there's, <laughs> there are some novels, <laughs> source some. materials, um, you know, and so there's, there's clearly more in these that we can unpack and flush out in an eight hour series. But we've also seen that you can do something like that successfully in a two hour movie. So, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the day, I, I think there's still definitely a fair amount of fluff between the meat that you're really interested in. But I, I don't think that criticism is enough to call this a failure by any stretch. I think the key characters are interesting. Um, I think they're well developed. I think key plot points are well written enough to keep you coming back each week curious, even though you kind of have to sift through some of the stuff you don't care about. The acting is solid. I love the grittier noir take, which I feel is probably more in keeping with the original novels as opposed to sort of the kind of fluffy, you know, Mm -hmm. clean show that we remember. Um, You know, if you think about it, I remember the original Perry Mason being, you know, your grandmother's show and your mother's show. HBO's Perry Mason is trying very much to be our show. And and that's clear, and I like that. Um, I think it's worth a watch if you're into dramatic courtroom investigation procedurals, um, but it's also not HBO's best work. So final grades, I say yes, it's worth it, and it's it's a 6 out of 10. It's not bad. Cool. Boom. You got a free review in the errors and omissions section, people. (laughs) You're welcome. You're welcome. Well, I think that's a really good transition into what else are we watching? Tim, what else are you watching this week? Yeah, so I've had to be a little bit more wise um, with my watching. I haven't picked up on a new series yet. Um, I just, nothing's really kind of come into my brain. Um, Why do you need a new one when Taskmaster Season 8's on the CW right now? Or I can just, you know, watch what we do in the shadows again already. Uh, But, (laughs) um, you know, with the various sports coming back in varying degrees of success, you know, there's been some baseball and stilted fashion and NHL play-ins started this past weekend. Um, So I've tried to be a little bit smarter with what I'm watching. The rundown, I'll mention a couple things that I've watched and and I'll flesh out a little bit. But I did kind of go back and visit some earlier work by uh, two directors uh, that we've talked about recently. So I went back and watched Pirate Radio um, after our About Time episode. Yep, Richard Um, Curtis. And I went back and watched Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels um, after the Gentleman episode, so Guy Ritchie. Yes. And just briefly to touch on those, I think Frank had read, said Pirate Radio is right up my alley. Absolutely. Um, I, that movie yes. is, yeah, it's so much fun. Obviously, the soundtrack is great. So, you know, about the British government's battle with rock and roll radio and the public's desire to hear rock on the radio and, um, you know, the the british broadcasting is kind of being stymied by the government and they 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 don't want this stuff to be out there um if the movie sets it up with like maybe most public uh or most prominent stations only played an hour of rock and roll music a day in this time when the when the uk is churning out some of the greatest rock and roll music ever and it's not getting airplay in in all of the all of london and crazy and so you had all these these you know these pirate radio stations 
um, off the coast. Um, this movie particularly focuses on one, and these guys are out at sea on a boat anchored there, and there's just the jockeys living uh, on an all-male ship. They have one female on board uh, who's a lesbian who cooks for them. Uh, outside of that, it's just the boys' club, and they get into all sorts of shenanigans. Very uh, akin to me, like if you like Almost Famous, then you will like this movie. Oh, that's a good comparison. That's really yeah. solid. It's like that. It's that every everybody is cool in this movie. I mean, you just you you would settle to be anybody in this in this movie just to be part of this experience, right? When you watch this movie, you're like, ah, oh, I could totally live that, and it would be amazing. Um, you know, it's just it's sort of a coming of age. It's framed in like a kind of a coming of age story um, with uh, with the main character who's sort of set up as the main character to, when they bring him aboard this ship. But it's you know, it's just it's rock and roll. It's sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and it's fun. And you get a little suspense at the end uh, when it all goes down. If you haven't seen it, uh, definitely watch it. It's it's in the end, it's heartwarming and it's uh, uplifting. But yeah, if you want a good rock and roll movie that's just kind of a big finger to the man, uh, definitely check it out. It's it's really uh, a lot of fun. I, I definitely say like a 7 out of 10. It's uh, it's a lot of fun. Nice. I um, do. I love that movie. It's definitely one I'll watch again, too. Frank posted on Instagram about Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. That movie is just insane it's an insane mess of so much fun <laughs> yeah but the whole first part of the movie is really just a setup for everything that comes at the end the real brilliance in this movie is the second and third act but it's it's brilliant uh, so i definitely if you liked the gentleman if you haven't delved into anything else in guy Ritchie's catalog go back and watch it uh, i really enjoyed it i had sat here with a huge smile on my face through the end of that movie so definitely go check it out i i, I gotta go eight out of ten on that um just nice. because of the ending of that movie so the one thing i want to do in depth about is uh scary stories to tell in the dark um, <laughs> i thought you had seen this no so frank and i were working together when like this was coming together like yeah. finally like this has been in like uh, the rights have been held for this for like going on 10 years. Like I think 2013, I think is when they, they acquired the rights um, to make this movie. Um, and uh, so we kind of were a little excited about it. Guillermo del Toro was attached to it. And like, right. you know, people of our age, this elder ish millennial, you know, 19 middle eighties babies grew up on these books. Like, and it's not so much the stories that were terrifying, although there were some stories that were terrifying. It was the, the illustration. Pictures. The pictures in this book, in these books, were just, uh, they're horrifying. They're bone, bone chilling. <laughs> yeah, they are absolutely the stuff of nightmares. And I couldn't tell were... you one story. I could describe at least 20 pictures. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And so I think that comes to play in the movie a little bit. Like I said, it was Guillermo del Toro. He was a producer and he received story by credit, but there was also a lot of other writers attached to this. So Always a problem. Yeah, that's a kind of a red flag off the top. And I remember, and I think why you think I had seen this is that when the reviews came out, I was hearing they were kind of all over the place. On some of the aggregate sites, it's got like a like a seventy six percent on Rotten Tomatoes, hmm. but I don't know why. 
because unfortunately <laughs> this movie is just bad oh yeah it is just and i was like okay let's not you know i don't remember in depth any of the reviews i read i knew i was gonna watch it anyway um because at the end of the day seeing this stuff brought to life is really what it was going to be about and if they could capture which it looked like they did from press photos if they could capture some of these things it was gonna be creepy and again i don't know that i knew most of the stories that were referenced in here i definitely remember two of them two of the ones that are referenced is the uh red spot where the girl gets bit by a spider, spider in the and cheek. her face yeah. yeah that is used and then harold the scarecrow which is the one that scared me to death and, and the picture of the scarecrow in the book was horrifying and if there was any color in these illustrations it was like blue and red like it was just weird coloration and the poster for the movie was the scarecrow and he looks just like i would want him to look so i was you know i was gonna watch this anyway and it just it was boring the acting was terrible and i ultimately don't know who this movie was made for because mm. if it's not Be scratching the itch for those of us who remember right yeah you end up looking at it and the movie is it's teen leads it is supposed to be a bunch of friends who are potentially seniors in high school it's not exactly ever established they do say at the beginning oh this is our last halloween together so it starts on halloween so i'm assuming these are seniors in high school mm. but they're getting dressed up to go pseudo trick-or-treating because there's a bully that's been bothering them for years who steals their candy and he's wearing a and he's a letterman's wearing a letterman's jacket and dating one of the leads older sisters so i'm off the bat confused about the age ranges of these kids right like if they're not seniors then why is this their last halloween together and if they are seniors who's this kid in the letterman's jacket dating the older sister and where is she supposed to be in college did she not go to the college so all of that is confused confusing because these kids are played like such babies and it's source material that would in my mind appeal more to people of our age so i would have thought an older protagonist to this story would have made sense right on top of that it's then set in the 60s that's random which yeah which i was like is this just the opening of this no it's it's set in the 60s and it's about a ghost story from the 1800s and i can't quite figure out what the purpose of that is because now there's no nostalgia factor so you've even ruled out the 30 somethings who would be in it because it's not doing like an it chat you know uh, it the newer versions of it that we've reviewed or, or stranger things and hitting the 80s it's going back to the 60s and there's a tiny bit of pretext for the vietnam war there but it's right at the eve of the election of nixon and it's just why I, so it's not appealing to us because it's putting in teens and it's not appealing to us because it's when our parents were kids and yeah yeah that is awful awful it is so weird it's like terrible uh, target demo like <laughs> research they just missed it on both ends of the spectrum yeah and i just i don't so then on top of that it's not gory there's no gore it's very clean and 
it's not particularly scary. I mean, the characters that they pull from the source material look great. They look like I would want them to. They look like they came off the page. But the CGI then doesn't fit with the 60s aesthetic of the rest of the movie. And it mm. would have been more visceral if we tried to do it more practical. It just, there's a disconnect there. I just get lost in all of the confusing confusing decisions. There's nobody really of name in it. The biggest person that I recognize is Dean Norris from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul as Hank Schrader, the DEA agent. Mm. And he's in it for maybe four or five minutes. Stella Nichols, she's like the protagonist that leads her friends through this. They've come across a book in the basement of this old house that's supposedly haunted. And the book belonged to this girl who was trapped in the basement there by her family. And she would write stories in the book and they would all come true. And the little kids that the stories were about would disappear. And so the book ends up, interesting. you know, she takes the book home. And this is how they they work the stories into it. The stories from the book anthology. Right, right. So the rest of the movie is they see the story getting written in blood into the book and it's about their friend and it's the, the red spot happens to the one guy's sister um, or these other ones happen to other people in, in the book. And she has to try and solve this mystery of why this is happening before her friends all die. Then it ends with them going, the secret is in the book. We will get my friends back. Sequel time. Ugh. And it's like, it right. sounds to me like they'd just be better served. You really want to make a scary movie based on scary stories to tell in the dark. Just have everyone walk into the theater, screen is black, and then just spend 90 minutes cycling through the original illustrations of the three books <laughs> and just on repeat and then roll credits. Do that and you'll haunt my dreams for a thousand years. Yeah, I mean, and I don't, outside of the Scarecrow, I don't really think they picked particularly scary creatures. And... You know, when you're thinking of Guillermo del Toro and you think of Pan's Labyrinth and the creatures that he put together for that or Hellboy, I you're right. <sighs> I mean, that's what we were the most excited about. Yeah, oh, that sounds so disappointing. It, yeah, it just and when you just groan at the end when they're like, you know, there's going to be a sequel to this, and you're like, yeah, you got three other children's books to pull from, but why? I mean, it wasn't a horror movie, it wasn't scary. It maybe because this was a movie that we were supposed to take our kids to i i don't i don't know i don't know know. what uh so obviously not a must watch no no. (laughs) what do you give it i give it a two out of ten yeah i just it sounds like this is your old guard yeah i pulled that moment where i was like i started it at like you know sometime late it, like in the afternoon while I you know, was working on some stuff and I was like this has got to be almost over and it still had like 40 minutes to go and I yeah, was that's like that's your old guard everyone <laughs> was so whiny and annoying that I didn't care that any of these kids got eaten or disappeared and they <laughs> like the oh thank screaming. god Timmy's gone <laughs> yeah I mean uh, when Augie got sucked under the bed, I was like, thank God, Augie's gone. Why couldn't it have been Chuck first? Because Chuck's voice was grating. And like Chuck started the movie as like, I'm the I'm the brave one of the group. And they go into the house and he sees an old lady and a dog. And Chuck loses his stuff for the rest of the movie. <laughs> and he's a baby. And I was just like, oh, my God, if they don't kill Chuck now, I might kill Chuck. 
Like it was like <laughs> it, oh, it's so bad. Don't watch it. I mean, at first I was like, oh, this is going to be a movie I'll rewatch on Halloween. It's got a hol- no, no, no. Nope. <laughs> Strike out. Okay, so uh, scary stories is held in the dark. It's a big no from Tim, and yeah. you said a two out of ten. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably that's probably being generous. Okay, so I I watched I watched a couple things this week. The first one I want to talk about is a movie called Ready or Not. I watched it on HBO, so you can you can see it there. Uh, again, I don't think it's one of the max things. I think you can watch it no matter what brand of HBO you have. Ready or Not. Oh boy. Uh I'm really not sure which way to go on this one. It is in my eyes, literally the definition of just straight down the middle mediocrity. Samara Weaving plays Grace. She's a woman who has just married the man of her dreams. This guy, Alex, is part of this uber wealthy family who made their money in games, like legit board games. It turns out that whenever a family member marries, the new addition must draw a card from this creepy box at midnight on their wedding night, and the family, plus the new member, has to play whatever game it says. Uh, Sometimes it's simple, like chess or checkers or something like that, but apparently if you draw the card hide-and-seek, the new bride or groom must hide until dawn while the family hunts them down as you do. I, I think that's how we all played as children. Yeah, <laughs> but, sure. yep. Yep. So I guess the idea is that the family fails to capture and sacrifice slash murder this new member. Uh, they themselves face this impending doom, right? So don't want to give too much away, but that's kind of the general premise. Here's the deal. Kind of like Tim was just talking about with Scary Stories is Held in the Dark. And I, I think it's interesting that we both picked these like horror-ish movies. Yeah. Um, there are zero thrills. There are no scares. There is barely any gore. It literally checks none of the potential boxes that you would expect a movie like this to check. Oddly enough, though, even... Even it, even though it's missing all those elements, it didn't necessarily mean it was bad. The acting was meh. Like Adam Brody, Andy McDowell, and maybe Samara Weaving are the sort of major faces in this. The dialogue was awful and cheesy, but that too is is really in line with the inherent camp of this genre. Um. I don't know, man. In the end, despite it never really delivering anything, it still, for some reason, felt fun and held my attention for the entire runtime. Uh, I don't know. I feel like I feel like this movie had some kind of like subliminal message woven into it <laughs> that keeps me from giving it a scathing review that I think it maybe deserves, uh, <laughs> despite it literally doing. I mean, I don't. I don't know. It's it, this one legitimately bewilders me, and I think maybe it's worth watching just so that you guys can all see for yourselves. And either confirm my complete confusion uh, or just tell me I'm completely losing it. I give it a four and a half out of ten. I'll say that if you have HBO or a free trial available and some time to kill, go ahead and watch it. I would not advise going out of your way to do it. But yeah, I I think I'm going to say yes on this one. 
it's huh. it's a really weird situation and i remember where it and when it ended i was just like i feel like i hated that but uh, but why why don't i hate it it's uh I, I don't know dude it's so weird so ready or not on hbo uh, check it out i say ch- check it out if you if it's easy to do uh, i definitely remember like seeing you know the ads for yes. this movie like the poster looked- is her in sort of like this lacy gown obviously a wedding yeah. gown you find out and then she's got sort of like those massive like shotgun shells on her yeah. chest and y- y- yeah which i remember it looking absolutely wild and yes it's it's totally weird so what is the point of wanting to sacrifice a new member of the family and why would you ever ask someone to marry you if you know that there is a chance that they might have to be sacrificed. So that part that part is kind of interesting because so there's there's a much higher chance that this won't happen. So in the movie this the hunt hasn't happened since like the grandma or something was a kid. So the the kid Alex was uh, was super young, right? Like maybe five when the last hunt happened. So now he's older and and brings his and, and for the longest time he this this part they actually handle elements of this really well. For the longest time he was avoiding marriage, and it wasn't that he wasn't committed to her, but he knew if he did this they would have to do this stupid thing. Um, and while the odds were good that nothing bad would happen, like people have married into this family without being hunted. Sure, you know, but he alludes, and basically what he says is, if I didn't agree to marry you, you would have left me. And he hits a point where he's willing to risk the slim chance this happens rather than losing her forever, right? And so all that kind of plays out and makes sense. I'm not going to get too much into sort of the the reason or what happens to the family or why this happens because that sort of gets unveiled as you're watching. And it's not strong. It's not super great. You'll be like, okay. But still, I don't know. Maybe it's your jam. But kind of like that suggests they do sort of treat things with some care and it's just enough to like keep you from hating it but i don't know but it's but it is it is campy and funny and and quirky and so you kind of almost watch it and say this feels very intentional and so therefore Mm -hmm. you forgive a lot of it because because of all that it doesn't feel accidentally bad it feels intentional I think it's worth a watch. I, I I don't know. Yeah, check it out. Not so great, to, but not terrible. So we need some public validation on that for for Frank. Is what I yes think. yes please yes please. Um. Okay. So the next one. Okay. The next movie I had watched for this episode was Whip It. I'm gonna save that and talk about it uh, in an Instagram post. I'll do one of our little sixty second video things because yeah. I watched something today that blew my freaking mind i watch i i've already posted about it on instagram if you've been on there um you've seen my little 60 second blurb you've seen my little write-up so you know what i'm gonna say i even say in that post that i'm not gonna talk about it in an episode because i didn't want to get down a you know a path that we don't want to be on but as the day has gone on i i can't i can't not talk about this movie because of how amazing it is and i hadn't heard about it so if this speaks mm-hmm. to you i'd hate for you to miss out and for these uh these 
you know, creative folks to miss out on some people potentially checking it out. So if I sway your decisions in any way, let this be the time, you know, because I, I can't get over it. I can't get over it. Um, so the movie is Yes, God, Yes. It is only available to rent or buy. I bought it and recommend you do the same. Uh, it's written and directed by Karen Maine, and this is her directorial debut. She'd written one or two things prior to this. And it stars Natalia Dyer of Stranger Things fame. I can't say enough good things about this movie. Um, it is amazing on every level. Uh, it technically released in early 2019 in just a few places, and it has only just released dig digitally now, like July 28th it came out. The premise is Alice, played by Dyer, uh, is a Catholic teenager who is in the midst of discovering her own sexuality. And that thought is simultaneously being beaten down and buried by literally everyone around her, her Catholic school teachers, her friends, family, everyone. She's completely overcome with this raging battle and guilt inside of her between her natural development and crippling fear of eternal damnation if she even mm. thinks about any of it for a second, mm -hmm. right? So out the gate, if you were raised Catholic or Christian, perhaps, but really this movie like will really zing you if you're Catholic. And by that, I just mean it really hits home. And yeah. um, so if that stuff speaks to you, you will love this movie. Like I said, it's incredible. It captures every single subtle nuance of growing up, but especially in this environment. There's an opening scene of Alice walking through the hall at her school, and it had me dead. I was dying laughing. It nails the teenage experience under the tyrannical rule of Catholic school teachers. Uh, the more you watch, the more you catch. There's even these really great moments of like a kid on the bus spreading Elmer's glue on their hand so that they can dry and they can peel it off later. Um, you know, and, and the old Nokia phones and playing Snake and all this other kind of stuff. It's these subtle nods to the early 2000s where this movie is set. It is touching, hilarious, enraging, frustrating, heartbreaking, all at the same time. It is clear that the writer, director, Karen Maine lived this life. And if not, she's the greatest living screenwriter of our day because she's perfectly captured every single detail. Um, wow. Finally, you know, we talked last week about Richard Curtis and his male perspective on love and these types of stories. In truth, a lot if, if like the more i think about it a lot of these coming of age films also look at the struggle through the male eye but this movie is exactly what we need right now and it paves the road that was carved by movies like Booksmart before it um and it elevates the effort in every single way it's a movie about growing up and dealing with all the ugly and amazing parts from the female perspective and it, that just it, i don't know it's amazing and it what makes it even more incredible is that i as a grown-ass man felt like i could find a foothold and relate to the story completely and i don't know maybe that's just something about me but i'm going to bet that it has everything to do with the sheer talent of karen main's writing and direction and dyer's acting just legit and acting clinic of a performance seriously this is 
quite possibly the best movie I've seen all year. I give it a solid 9 out of 10. It's an absolute must watch. Like I said, I bought it for $12.99 rather than renting it for $6.99. It was worth every single penny. I will absolutely watch it again. And if anything I've said resonates with you on any level, you will watch it more than once too. I cannot recommend this movie enough do it do it blast out karen main on every social media outlet it is fantastic absolutely fantastic nine out of ten i am really really intrigued to watch this a because we've we've watched some really really stellar stuff in, in the last couple of months yeah but b i mean i went to 12 years of catholic school like kindergarten through 12th grade with high school being all boys and i really want to watch it with carissa because she grew up christian but went to public school Mm. so i want to see i want to see what what you know like where that where the reson where this resonates but i mean that it sounds like my grade school high school experience i mean that's when i I graduated in 2004 from high school and you're only you're only in the school for a short amount of time then she goes on this retreat but it really like it nails you know it nails the guilt the hypocrisy the just the two the two-headedness of of all of this right to to just really beat down people for going through a very natural part of being human and making them feel like they're damned for it when you have zero control i mean the feeling of being damned for something that you cannot control is so impossibly difficult for a 12 13 14 year old but the key is it does this all it's a textbook dramedy right because it does it all in this perfect comedic and satirical shell that it's not like berating the catholic church or christianity but instead it focuses on the humanity of the person dealing with it and finding some level of peace it is it's so it's so good this is not and i want to emphasize this because i know i didn't make this clear this is not a beat down the church type movie this is not saying I, i don't know it I don't want to speak too much to it because I think that's exactly what I kind of wanted to avoid is that's not sort of, that's not what this is, right? But in terms of a movie, it's amazing. And if you've lived anything close to this kind of life, you will find a way in. And and I think it will speak to you. I would be, I would be absolutely absolutely thrilled to hear what you guys think um, but obviously yeah. everybody listening because I mean I'm serious at the end of the day, take everything else out of it it's it's a master class of filmmaking i I, and it's not without its problems it's not without its plot holes it's not without its issues but it is the positive the pros so far outweigh the the cons that you don't it doesn't even register they don't even register this movie's like all aces man it's so good it's so good i'm definitely i'm excited i'm definitely excited All right, so our final segment, and we are, I know we're running a bit over. Thank you for sticking with us. Um, But it's the listener questions slash requests, and we have a quick one. Again, Janelle. So along with hitting us up with Perry Mason in a totally separate thing, she had sent us a message. Um, I guess she had just watched the movie Enemy of the State, 
with Will mm. Smith, Gene Hackman, John Voight. I want to say it was late 90s, early 2000s. I probably should have looked that up. So she says, you know, I was watching Enemy of the State and found it very interesting how even back then we were so worried about the NSA tracking us. Any thoughts? Um, Real quick, I will say I had not seen this movie probably since it came out. So I, I remembered nothing at all. So I rewatched 19, this one. 1998. Dude, nailed it. It was, uh, so I rewatched this one and yeah, man, it is. So the, the premise is basically head of the NSA kills like a congressman blocking his ability to sort of expand his power. It gets caught on tape. Will Smith gets his hands on the tape. NSA is tracking everybody, ruining their lives to kind of bring him in and get their hands back on it. So to speak to Janelle's question, yeah, man, of course, it was terrifying. I am not one of those people who like covers up my cameras or doesn't say stuff into my phone. That's just not my jam. After watching this movie, I kind of think I am. They just say things, you know, it's like anyone who says president and this and this in a phone call it immediately gets automatically recorded and reviewed and blah 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 and so you know i'm kind of like man maybe i do need to be more careful because i will i will rant forever about how dumb our president is and how i can't wait for him to get out and if you know cheeseburgers kill him i'm not gonna be super sad about it but right. and now the nsa is on me um yeah you know, it, it absolutely resonates. And it it's amazing when movies like this that that take that were made so long ago, which is crazy to think that 1998 was so long ago. But yes, <laughs> it is. Um, you know, movies that were made so far back then can not only, you know, still be interesting, engaging or whatever, but really resonate with stuff that's happening today. This movie, while it felt dated in ways it very much felt like a movie of today and and that is it's wild it's absolutely wild so um in terms of a movie i thought it was pretty good i thought it was a a fun watch i thought it was interesting i give it a six and a half out of ten i think in light of and kind of like to speak to what janelle is saying if this is anything that crosses your mind and certainly in today's day and age watch this movie and check out how how can it just it feels so contemporary it feels of the time and and then remind yourself that it's 22 years old which is yeah. which is bananas so uh but yeah you know but again it's 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 a decent movie and uh it's equal parts decent movie and absolutely terrifying i completely agree with you Janelle. so i think a lot of what you're seeing in this case is something that an idea in this case, the NSA and a lot of, a lot of us are more familiar with the NSA in the last five to six years, especially after the Edward Snowden situation and things like that. And I think what you're seeing in this case is, I guess it's the Simpsons effect, right? There's been so many Simpsons episodes that people are always like, oh, the Simpsons predicted, you know, Donald Trump would be president or the Simpsons predicted this or the Simpsons predicted that. And this is an idea that has moved from like fringe theory, conspiracy, conspiracy, crazy, you know, Oh, the homeless guy thinks there's a microphone in the trash can and that the KGB is listening to him. And it's just kind of just come to light that that stuff is not so crazy. Right. right. So this made a movie in 1998 because it was outlandish enough to be a movie and still entertaining 
But now we go back and watch this and we're like, this is actually really kind of happening. <laughs> like, you know what it makes me think of? I remember, So growing up where I grew up, there was a lot of military kids and stuff like that. You know, and I remember, I forget who told me, but it was like, you know, by the time we declassify something, you know, it's it feels so... Like, I don't know, think, for example, I'm not being literal here, but for example, the first time you saw like a, like a beef, like a, like a stealth bomber or something like that, right? And it looked insane. And you're like, man, what is this new thing? And blah, blah. And it's like, by the time you know it's real, they've been using it for 20 years. Do you know what I'm saying? So like by the time things started kind of leaking out that this is happening or what if this or what if that, you know, the NSA has been bugging things and putting things into place for years before that. So it makes sense that their hypothesis of, oh, man, what could have been, you know, they've been doing that forever. And so now watching exactly what you're saying as we are catching up this is old hat. This is old news. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, I think, I think you're spot on with that. And, and more it's, so than it's like, it's not so much the times have caught up or, or, or they've predicted the future. It's just, you know, by the time something triggers an idea in somebody's mind, right? So everything is based on something that happened, something they read, something mm-hmm. that's uh, something that is occurring. So by the time they heard that and their brain could say, Ooh, what if, guess what, man, they've been doing that for 10 years. Right. Yeah. So it's like, you know, so I think I think you're spot on with that. It is fascinating, though. It's absolutely fascinating. And in this sense, right on a less severe note, it allows it not that it's a good thing. Right. Because this stuff is very serious. But it's interesting when something like this happens and it takes it takes a movie from 22 years ago and it makes it not only watchable today but super relatable and and just it feels it just feels very present and yeah. and that's and that's cool that that gives a second wind and a second life to something that probably would have just been long forgotten it was for me i haven't seen this movie since it came out um yeah I wish it wasn't about something so terrifying, but like I wish it was like, man, they predicted back then that we'd all have ten thousand dollars a month and you know just be living on beaches and look at us now, right? right. How prophetic! But uh, but it isn't. Um, but still, at the end of the day, yes, Janelle, of course, it's it's horrifically terrifying. Um, yeah. but the movie's a good watch and and the acting is top notch and it's you know it delivers in every possible way. Uh, what did I say? Six and a half, six and a half out of ten. Yeah. Yeah, yep. six and a half out of ten. Check it out yeah, on HBO. It's I, on HBO right now. You're gonna be I watching Perry assume, Mason anyway. I just assume, based on where we live and people in my periphery, that I'm bugged and have been bugged for quite some time. Guaranteed. I just, yeah, I just know too many people who are involved in government offices, and I've given too many security check interviews to to not be tailed. <laughs> All right, so I think that finally wraps us up. Guys, thank you so much for hanging in there with us. It has been a pleasure, a joy, nay, a privilege to bring this content to your ear holes today. So as always, check us out, uh, podcasts, anywhere you get your podcasts, website, pausedreviews.com, follow links to get to podcasts, follow links to email us, follow links to our archive, whatever you need. I've got it there for the most part, as long as it's 
are podcast related and to those very specific things that I just mentioned. And uh, Instagram, at Paused Reviews. Check us out for content. We've mentioned a few things that we've put up there already, you know, so you kind of get a sense of what we do there. Lots of reviews, little 60-second things and all kinds of stuff. So check us out there. Stuff that we don't cover here, usually. Although we covered a bit uh, on yeah. here, but um, stuff we don't necessarily cover here, but it, you know, enhanced by this, whatever. It's worth it. Uh, check it out. Thank you to everyone who already follows, subscribes, shares. Thank you so, so much. It means the world to us. We love doing this and we love knowing that you guys dig it too. So thank you so much for joining us this week. We will be back next week with a deep dive episode and we are going to talk about the movie Long Shot. Or The Long Shot. I don't exactly know. But it's the one with Charlize Theron and uh, Seth Rogen. Um, Uh So check that one out. And if you want, before you listen, or if you're one of those people who want to listen first to see if you want to check it out, we welcome you as well. Um, So join us next week for The Long Shot. Other than that, I am your boy Frank. This is Tim. And we will see you when we see you. Peace.